Well, welcome to Kalos Church. Why don't you guys take your seats, stop liking each other so much, and, uh, and let's, uh, let's get into this message. We just concluded our series, Beauty Will Save the World, and I feel like God did a lot of amazing things. We saw over 50 people make decisions to follow Jesus Christ. We saw about 50 people go through, and yeah, you can give a round of applause to Jesus for that. We had about 50 people go through our Next Steps class and how they can, you know, get involved. That's Crash Course. Highly recommend you go through Crash Course if you haven't yet, where we can connect, share our story about why we started a church in a comedy club. And so it's just been a blessing to be here. And now we're in our second series as a church, which is so exciting. And it's all about community. It's called Community, where you and I belong. And uh, I'm super excited about this, especially because there's something in Seattle called the Seattle Freeze. Who's heard of the Seattle Freeze? Oh my goodness, I know. It's crazy. Who loves the Seattle Freeze? Woo! All right, who hates the Seattle Freeze? Boom! And you know, when there's a Seattle Freeze, it creates ice, and when ice is in one piece, you gotta break it, and that's where the term icebreaker came from. And so, we're gonna break some ice, and we're gonna destroy the Seattle Freeze. I believe God's gonna start a movement right here at Kalos Church. We're gonna start the Seattle Thaw. Come on, somebody. Who's with me? The Seattle Thaw! We're gonna take a blowtorch to this whole thing. We're gonna make friends, and so, those of you who don't know what the Seattle Freeze, it's basically like when someone will tell you what their favorite restaurant is, but they will not go with you to that restaurant. People will be friendly, but they won't be friends. It's like, hey, we're nice, we're smiling, but you're never going to see my house ever. You will never use my bathroom, even though I lit a candle there to protect you and so from the bad smells. And so we are going to thaw that Seattle freeze. We're going to be a culture where we're in each other's homes. We're going to have refrigerator rights. Do you guys have any friends with refrigerator rights? They can just come over and raid your fridge and grab food. Do you guys raid any fridges? Who raids fridges here? And so I'm just believing that we could be a community that does life together. And there's a scripture about the, the church. It's basically a prototype scripture about what the church was like, the very first gathering of the church in the book of Acts, where we see that Jesus had gone to heaven, and now a bunch of his followers are like, now what are we going to do? And in Acts 2, it says this, Every day they continued to meet together. These were the Christians, the first believers. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. And by the way, for those of you who know, I'm on a starch diet. I eat 80 to 90% starch in my daily diet. And this is a great Bible verse. They didn't eat any other food. They only broke bread. If you're eating anything but bread, I don't know how Christian you are. All right, so anyways... <laughs> What is Jesus? What do you call himself? The what of life? Come on, somebody. All right, so anyways, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. So it's amazing. We see this picture where there's thousands of people who became Christian in a moment. So the first church was really quite a large church. There are thousands of people, and they were meeting in the temple courts, which is kind of a picture of our Sunday morning gatherings, a corporate kind of communal gathering. But then they are also breaking bread in their houses, kind of a picture of a fancy word we use in churches called like small groups or life groups or anything like that. So they are meeting together as large 
large groups, but they're also doing life as small groups. And this is really a picture of what we see God doing here in Kalos Church. So we've been meeting uh, on Sunday mornings, but on Sunday nights, we've been meeting in houses and breaking bread. And how many of you guys have gone to one of our Sunday night parties? Those have been awesome. And so we have one in Kirkland with uh, the Jenny Snyder's house, or as we call them, the, uh, the genders or the Snydeans. Janet, you know, it's kind of crazy. So uh, anyways, we, we, we believe in meeting as a large group and a small group, and it's all very exciting. And I love this picture of the early church because they really emphasize community, which in our culture, I think we talk about community a lot, but there is a loneliness and community epidemic in our culture. About 25 years ago, people averaged six friends in their lives, close confidants, people that they could share their lives with and trust with these crazy stories, their secrets, just like we did a little bit ago. But now in America, the average amount of friendships that we have is about two people. So in 25 years, we've shrunk to two people as opposed to six people. There's a friendship epidemic. And uh, I think there's a variety of reasons like while why people are lacking community and lacking friendships and these things are happening in America. Some of them are like modern conveniences, like back in the day before air conditioning, people hung out on their porches and they would have to see their neighbors. Now we have air conditioning, at least some of us do. In Seattle, not a lot of people have air conditioning, but back in the day, people would sit on their porches and now we can just drive our cars, modern conveniences, into a garage we don't have to see a lot of our neighbors if you have a garage. And you can just walk into your house and then you can kind of isolate yourself into entertainment designed for individuals. I literally met someone yesterday who said they were really lonely and looking for friends. And I said, well, why don't you hang out with some friends? We have a service in the morning where you're friends and we have a party at night. If you're not comfortable coming to a church environment, come to this house party. And he said, you know what? I'm really looking for friends, but I'm trapped in a prison of Netflix. I, I have to watch Netflix. I, just, I want friends, but I really got to finish this show. <laughs> and so this entertainment designed for individuals, he literally called a prison for him, realizing he needed friends, but this entertainment was isolating him from his community. And even like a rise in social media. I love social media. You know, I love the internet, Pradeepin.com. Check it out. No worries, no big deal, whatever. And so I, I love it. Uh, but there is a, a rise in people finding that they have friends online and followers, but they don't have these close, confident, confidant-type relationships. You know, many of us have thousands of friends online, and uh, yet we don't feel like we have a ton of friends in our personal lives. And social media can kind of create this deferment of loneliness where we're lonely, so we, you know, we post a selfie of ourselves and we work the angles and the lighting and the filter, and then we, we wait for likes on this picture. And it kind of like alleviates this loneliness for a little bit, but then when the likes fade away or we don't get that many likes or anything like that, we suddenly find ourselves lonely again. And then we, we kind of try to find other ways to defer that loneliness through another post, another picture, another message. And we still feel like we're lacking those close, confident friendships, which I, I think is just a tragedy because um, friendships, honestly, in my life have been one of the most major sources of life transformation for me. Encouragement 
times when I was down and out and feeling hopeless and helpless and like I didn't have purpose or feeling depressed or even when I, I went through a time of being suicidal and my parents had to like get me out of the street because I was trying to get hit by cars and things like that. It was community and friendships that helped me go from being like the suicide teenager to feeling like people, you know, could help me like find hope and find Jesus and find life and find purpose and find like I have a reason to live on this earth. And uh, I remember my first Christian friend, uh, his name was Ben Block and still is Ben Block. And uh, I'm thinking about him a lot because uh, his, uh, his daughter, uh, Isabella Joy Block, just turned one years old. And so Izzy, sorry I couldn't be at your birthday party yesterday. I love you. I don't know if you're watching this on live stream, Isabella. You're one years old now. I don't know if you're of age, but hello. And uh, anyways, we, we grew up as Christians together, and this friendship was something that was super strong and encouraging in my life. And we are, we've gone through so much. Like, I've punched him in the face. I've punched him in the stomach. We've wrestled. I've stolen things from him. I've... Uh, you know, totaled cars with him. <laughs> we were seeking Jesus together. I remember when we were in youth group, we stole our youth pastor's car keys and stole his car and listened to the Beatles and became great friends. That's the start of a good friendship, isn't it? <laughs> My first Christian friend. Uh, just so many things, but there have been times where he has been uh, a source of joy and life and encouragement. And I don't know, honestly, what I would have done without him in my Christian development. You know those friends that say, like, hey, I'll pray for you. But then there's friends who say, hey, I'm going to pray with you right now. You know that difference and, like, how much of a difference that makes in your life? He's been that in my life. And just even calling me out as a man of God. And I remember one time we were going to this music festival. And this was the days before GPS and even before MapQuest and Google Directions and all of that. And we knew that this music festival was about two hours away, and we decided we're just going to follow our heart to go there. <laughs> we didn't have any directions. We didn't know where we are going, but you know what? Where there's a will, there's a way was our mantra. <laughs> so we decided to follow our hearts, and uh, long story short, somehow we actually made it to this festival two hours away. <laughs> we literally say, if this car turns right, we're going to go left. Lord, guide our feet. The Lord directs the footsteps of those you trust him. And so we made it to this music festival, and we realized, oh my goodness, these things are expensive. It's like 80 bucks a person. We don't want to go to this. This is a Christian music festival, but we don't want to pay money, and we just want to worship Jesus. And so in the name of people who love Jesus and were pursuing him and wanted to worship and sing songs of praise and, you know, feel the Holy Spirit goosebumps and have this real emotional experience where we could be people rallying for faith, we decided in the name of Jesus, we're going to sneak into this concert and not pay money <laughs> and so we jump over the fence nobody finds us and we're we're worshiping we're we're loving it oh my goodness Rachel Lampa if you've ever heard of her old school Christian singer we're singing her songs we're we're the only boys but we are singing <laughs> and so we start to like you know realize man we just snuck into this concert and Ben looks at me and he goes hey do you feel kind of bad that we snuck into a Christian festival that we didn't pay and kind of stole these tickets? I was like, no, man, what are you talking about, idiot? Loser, God provided. God, are you kidding me? This is a blessing, man. <laughs> and he's like, no, I don't think this is a blessing. I think this is a, a test. And uh, <laughs> we decide to turn around and 
we snuck back over the fence and we're like, ah, oh, man, Rachel Lampa, we wanted to sing your song so bad. And now we're just sitting out here like idiots. And uh, eventually we're, we just, you know, we repent to the Lord. He calls me to pray and repent. And we're like, Lord, I'm so sorry. And uh, this guy comes up to us and he says, hey, I'm from a radio. Uh, would you like two free tickets to get into this? We're like, Lord, you are amazing. This is awesome. Lord, you've blessed us because we're so holy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this whole idea of friendship really created an environment where I was called out by my friend. And something I wouldn't have done on my own, I did because he called me out. And he said, hey, Pradeepan, you love Jesus. You're called to live by a different code, a different way. And so I'm going to call you out. And I'm going to not just call you out. I'm going to help you walk out your holiness. I'm going to help you walk out by this conduct that you want to live out. I'm going to help you live out the ways of Jesus. Don't we all need friends like that, that help us walk the walk? Friends that help us live how we always thought we could live. Friends that helped us walk in love and walked in truth and walked in friendship and walked in community. We all need people that can help us be who we know we can be. And that's why this epidemic of loneliness and friendship lacking in America is kind of scary. This, this isolation and independence, it, it's going to create environments where we don't always walk how we know we can walk. And that's why with this series, Community, where you and I belong, I really believe that we belong in community, that we need each other. And so the title of my message today is, We Need Us. We Need Us. So I want you to look at someone and say, I need you. Just say that. And look at someone else and say, you need me. <laughs> Uh, it's awesome. And so I want, I want us to really look at this aspect and ideal of community through the eyes of Scripture to see what God would have for us. Because I was reading another survey. It says, a new survey of more than 2,000 American adults found 72% report that they felt a sense of loneliness. Nearly a 31% experiencing loneliness at least once a week. And uh, this is crazy. So that means about three out of the four people in this room are lonely right now. Like, you're, you're feeling like I'm in, I'm in a crowded room or I have jobs, but I just moved here to Bellevue and I don't feel like I'm connected. I don't feel like I have friends. I feel like, uh, like if I needed a last-minute ride from the airport, I don't know who I would call. I don't like know what to do to make friends. I don't. Is there something wrong with me, or is everybody else just a jerk? But, you know, you know, statistics speaking, three out of the four people in this room right now, you're more lonely than you've ever felt in your life. And I just want to say, as a pastor, I'm not, I'm not okay with that. As a human, I'm not okay with that. Because I think, I think this room is filled with some amazing people. I think, I think God has a plan for all of us to be all that God thinks that we can be. And, and the fact is, we can't do that alone. And so I'm really excited to be part of the Seattle Thought. Amen? And we're going to see a movement where God sets the lonely in families. And so I just want to set a biblical precedent that... I really believe what uh, Genesis 2.18, we're going to read some scriptures here together, and we believe in the Bible, we love the foundation of the Bible, we're not just making this up as we go, everything we get is not really our original idea, it's from the scriptures, and in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, in Genesis 2.18, we see that 
God has a relationship with Adam, and there's no sin, there's no wrong, there's no ugliness in this world, and they have this awesome relationship together. They have, like, unlimited time together. They can do whatever they want, and in the midst of that close, intimate relationship between Adam, the first person, and God, this is what God says. Then the Lord God said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for the man to be alone. If I'm Adam, I'm offended at God at that moment. Come on, God, you don't like just being alone with me? <laughs> We're having this intimate relationship. We're spending all this time together, and you're, not, and you're saying it's not good. Could you imagine if you were hanging out with someone, you felt like you had this amazing connection? You went to a coffee shop and a restaurant, and you had this awesome adventure. And in the midst of that connection, they say, hey, this is not good. <laughs> we need to bring someone else into this mix. <laughs> we, this is... This is not okay. <laughs> Have you ever awkwardly had that experience with someone where you're hanging out with someone one-on-one -on -one and you're running out of conversation? And they're like, hey, do you think we should bring Cindy into this group? I don't know. Why? Do you think we... I don't know. I just Maybe Cindy should be here. <laughs> Would you like to have 10 seconds of more uninterrupted eye contact? <laughs> yeah, we need Cindy here. <laughs> It's not good for us to be alone. And that's kind of what's happening. Adam's alone with God, and God's like, this is not good. And I think with the American dream and this idea of America, we really value being alone. We really value independence. It's actually what we seek out, having that big house, having the garage, having our own TV, having our own space. This is like we want, I want to do things my way. I want to do things like on my own terms. It's my way or the highway. I want to be just left alone. And you know, while we as a culture value independence, I really want to echo what the scriptures are saying here, that it is not good for us to be alone. And actually, when we're alone, I would believe that complete independence is directly opposed to God's plan for us. It is not good for man to be alone. It's against God's plan that we'd be independent on our own because we are meant to be dependent on God, but also living life in community. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to have each other's backs. And I'd love for us to be a community that acknowledges, hey, I, I'm not strong enough to do this on my own. I cannot live a life worthy of my calling on my own. I'm not really that holy where I can love Jesus perfectly on my own. And I'm not afraid to admit, I need you. I cannot do this alone. I need you. You need me. We need us. And just practically, solitary confinement is something that we use to punish criminals. And we do this to ourselves willingly in the name of independence. And it's just so scary. Like, I want you to read some of the symptoms of what happens when you are in solitary confinement. You'll find that you'll ruin your mind. And this is actually clinical research that I found about what happens to victims of solitary confinement in prison cells. It says that they will find themselves going through depression, then anxiety, then rage, then claustrophobia, eventually they will start to hallucinate, then they'll have a complete inability to think, they will stop being able to remember anything, then it goes from the mind into their eyes, after a certain amount of solitary confinement, people will start to lose their vision and hearing and get tinnitus where they have a ringing in the ears, so if you stop talking to people long enough, you're going to hear this. But you won't have anybody to tell about it because you're alone. 
You need community just to avoid that sound. Not only that, you'll have the weakening of the immune system, premature menopause. I don't want that. I don't. We need community. Aggressive behavior, suicide. It gets even worse from there. Cancerous tumors and an inability to sleep. I don't want that. But we value that as a society, independence. My way or the highway. I want to be alone. Just get out of my space. Let me do my own thing. And we're suffering. The more independent we are, but for some reason we bought into this lie that if we can just get rich enough, if we can just get successful enough to be on our own, everything will be all right. But community is a place where you and I belong. Complete independence is directly opposed to God's plan for our lives. I need you, you need me, we need us. Amen? And so that's why the early church, they met together every day in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes. And I, I believe, though, it's not just enough that we have um, relationships, because we can have good relationships, and we can have bad relationships. We can have relationships that lead us in a great direction, and we can have relationships that kind of destroy us. And uh, Proverbs 13, 20 says this, walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools and get in trouble. How many of you guys have ever gotten into trouble because you had the wrong kind of friends? <laughs> and so we know that, like when we have children, we really pray that our kids would have the right friends so that they don't get in trouble. And we have a son named Obadiah Light, Jima Manohar, and Sivaretnam. Come on, somebody, did you feel that? <laughs> and uh, he's awesome. We just call him Obi. And he, he's been kind of living with just like 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds for like the first year of his life. Like all of his friends are in their 20s and 30s. They're like, hey, Obi, man, you want to watch Stranger Things this weekend? He's like, <laughs> it's like not appropriate for him. And uh, so we were praying. My wife, Amritha, and I were like, man, he needs some good friends because he, he kind of gets his way whenever he wants it. He is independent. He will ignore you. He'll do his own thing. He doesn't care if you're in the room. You can say his name, and he'll just walk away. And uh, it's, just, it's just horrible. And we're like, we don't want our kid to be a brat. Like, we don't want him to be a snotty little brat. And God answered that prayer, and he provided us a family that has an adorable little boy named Nathaniel, Andrew Renard's little boy. Say, say hi, Andrew and Melissa Renard have a little a, adorable boy named Nathaniel, and, and Becca, who sang amazingly, watches them like twice a week and hangs out with them, and so they're starting to hang out. But the first time they hung out with each other, um, my son um, slapped him in the face and pushed him over. And I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> That's my boy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm so glad for this relationship, but I feel so bad for Nathaniel. But Nathaniel is like about the same age, but he's way bigger, like more coordinated. He can put on rain boots by himself, which I'm a little jealous about, but I'm not going to compare our kids. Because uh, <laughs> so, uh, that's not good, right? Um, and, uh, the other week, we caught them doing something. So whereas Obi had been picking on Nathaniel um, and we're like praying that he wouldn't be a, a brat, there's a breakthrough that happened last week that I want to show you. So can we play that video, Phil, of my son and Nathaniel? So there's Nathaniel hugging Obi. Can we get the audio there? 
If not, that's okay. I'll just narrate. And so now Nathaniel is grabbing my son. He, he throws him to the ground. And not only that, he just conquers him and claims him. He steps on him. And he just, my son just lays there. That's my boy. <laughs> Can we give it up for Nathaniel? <laughs> so, Obi started off this relationship picking on uh, Nathaniel, and we're praying, Lord, I pray that you would humble our son. Would you just, like, put him in, like, an even-balanced relationship? And so last week, we're actually praising the Lord for this moment because Obi's getting totally dominated. Not just pushed down, but stepped on! I defeated you. Uh, and so it's not just having relationships is having the right kind of relationships. And so we're praising God that Obi has the right kind of relationship with Nathaniel, someone that's going to humble him, someone that's not just going to be a pushover. Now, Obi's learning that you don't always get your way. And here, here's a principle. Your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. Your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. They say you're an average of your five closest friends. And so if I had you write down your five closest friends, and most of them are rich, statistics would say you're probably rich. If most of them are depressed, statistics would say you're probably depressed. If three of your friends got stoned last night, I'm probably guessing you got stoned last night. If three of your friends were like binge-watching Netflix last night, you're probably watching binge-watching Netflix last night. You're an average of your closest five friends. And so it's super important that we don't just have relationships, but we have relationships that take us in the direction and destiny of God's calling and plan for our lives. Because your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. Another way I could say for you is this. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Do you have good friends? Do you have friends that are making you all that God has called you to be? Do you have friends that are pushing you to pursue Jesus? Or do you have friends that make it a difficult journey for you to follow Jesus? Sometimes when we get up in the morning and we say, hey, I'm going to church, we have friends that laugh at us or mock us and say, why are you doing that? Or we have friends that are pressuring us to be unethical at work, pressuring us to make decisions we know that are harmful for us. Maybe we're in romantic relationships that are making us compromise what we know to be true, how we want to live, but we find ourselves trying to please people and work for them. And let's be honest, a lot of the trouble we've gotten into in our lives has probably been because we chose the wrong friends, we did something we would later regret because we were trying to please people. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. Your friends determine the direction and the quality of your life. So if I took your friends, the people who have influence on your life, what would I say is the quality and direction of your life? If you're going to be more like the people that are influencing you, what would you be like in two years from now? 
five years from now, 10 years from now, if you became more like them. That's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about Kalos Church, because we're a community that wants to make known the beauty of Jesus. We're a community that wants to make a difference in this world, because we aren't just a church with a mission. We know that the mission has a church, that we will make disciples, that we will break darkness, that we will help the world become a better place, that we will help people love Jesus, we'll help people be free from addictions, we'll help people not have to consider suicide, we'll help people not be depressed anymore, we'll help people be all that God has called them to be, where we can love and be loved, where we can have hope and joy and life and life abundantly, that's what we want to be, a community that will help the direction and quality of your life be an amazing life full of hope and Jesus. And that's why I want us to commit to this journey together. Because your friends determine the quality and direction, the future of your life. We need godly community. Amen? Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. This is why we have Kalos Church. And I, I just really believe, though, you know, this, this verse, Psalm 68, 6, it says that God places the lonely in families. God places the lonely in families. And like we talked about, stats would say that about 75% of the people in this room are lonely. God has a plan for you. God wants to place you in community. God wants to place you into a family. He has a plan. But you know what? It's not just going to happen by accident. Community requires commitment. Community comes from commitment. We, as a generation, we hate commitment. We are, you know, transient people. Most of the people here, you're probably new to this city. I'm new to this city. I've moved so many times. I've lived in Colorado and Michigan and Minneapolis. I lived in Korea. I lived in Oklahoma. I mean, I, I lived all over the world. I mean, and so I, I, I've been afraid of commitment. Oh, my goodness. Like, one of the hardest things in my life, and I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable here, is picking out a Netflix movie. Sometimes I spend more time selecting a Netflix movie than I spend watching a Netflix movie. Is anybody with me? Amen. Can we just be vulnerable in this place? It's hard to pick out a movie. Or, come on, let's be honest. This, this is a safe place. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's, it's hard to commit. Like, oh, what if this is bad? What if this isn't that good? Maybe I should just rewatch The Office again. I know I will laugh <laughs> if I watch that. <laughs> I just, you know, I just got to do that because I don't know if I'm ready to commit to a whole movie. And so we just spend time searching for the next best thing, searching maybe this will be better, maybe this will be good. It's hard to have a commitment. Like if our friends ask us out to eat, we're always asking the question, well, hey, who, who's going with you? Because you don't know if you want to commit. I hate when people ask me that question. If I invite you out somewhere and you say, who's going with? I'm like, I'm just going to say, am I not good enough for you? Just hang out with me. Commit. Commit to that night of adventure. We're going to have fun, a friendship. And uh, <laughs> we, we just don't like that commitment. And I think this has taken a toll on this idea of independence and loneliness because we as a generation, I would say, sometimes have a hard time with commitment, but also we as a generation have a hard time feeling like we're connected, okay? And I, I want you to see the correlation there. We have a hard time feeling like we're committed, and so now we have a hard time feeling like we're connected. 
And the deepest relationships I have is because of the deepest commitments I have. And things get out of order when your intimacy isn't in course with your commitment. So even when I was dating Amritha, we made sure that our intimacy never exceeded our commitment. And now that we're married, we want to fight to make sure our intimacy is on par with our commitment. But I feel community with Amritha because I said, hey, I'm with you for richer, for poorer, for you know, sick, in health, all these things. And because of that, we feel like we have got, we've got each other's backs. We're not afraid that one of us is going to walk out on each other. And from that commitment comes community. If you ever go on like a road trip with someone for a week, why is it you feel like you're best friends with these people you've only known for a week, but not as close to the people you work with every single day? It's because you've committed to be in this relationship for a week. You're committed to engaging with them, knowing them, being known with them. We see that these radical experiences of commitment make us feel connected. And for many of us who don't feel connected right now, let me ask you, how's your commitment? You know, especially in church. A lot of times we'll, we'll complain in the church, oh, I just don't feel connected. I just don't feel like anybody knows me. I go there once every two months, and I don't feel connected. What's going on? Well, I think if you are more committed, and I'm not saying you have to work hard or serve hard. I'm just saying committed to having relationships with people committed to putting yourself out there, committing to being in the same time as space, and space as someone, I guarantee if you do that, you will find you're more connected. Because oftentimes, time is the building block of love. Time is the building block of community. Old friendships start with new friendships. Natural conversations start with awkward conversations. But when you start off saying, hey, I'm committed, I'm going to be there for you, it just creates a safety net and a security blanket where true community can happen. How many of you guys want to be committed to community? How many of you guys want to be committed to community? Amen. Amen. And so love is a commitment. We're not a community that just walks away from people. And so in this American epidemic of loneliness, and Ben, you guys can come up, I want us to be a community that's committed to love each other, a place that's committed to help others belong, a place that's committed to be vulnerable, a place where we can go through this journey of life together so that we can be all that God has called us to be. Because you guys are amazing people. There's gifts and talents inside of you that I need. There are words of encouragement that you need. There are words and times of prayer that you desperately need. But guess what? Love doesn't exist in isolation. We need each other if we want love. We need each other if we want love. And so I want to challenge you guys. Be committed to the process. Be consistent. Be present. Show up at Kalos Church. Show up at parties. Show up at coffee meetings. Just get out there. Be committed because community and this connection will come from commitment. I want to I share this story that, that really impacted me. And it's about this person named Yvette Vickers. And she was a movie star best known for her role in The Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. And she would have been around 84 last August. Um, but nobody knew how old exactly she was when she died. 
According to the Los Angeles coroner's report, she lay dead for the better part of a year before a neighbor and fellow actress, a woman named Susan Savage, noticed cobwebs and yellowing letters in her mailbox. And she reached through a broken window to unlock the door and pushed her way through piles of junk mail and mounds of clothing that barricaded the house. And upstairs, she found Vicar's body, mummified, near a heater that was still running. Her computer was on too, its glow permeating the empty space. The Los Angeles Times posted a story headlined, Mummified Body of Yvette Vickers Found in Her Benedict Canyon Home, with with, which quickly went viral. Within two weeks, uh, by their count, Vickers' lonesome death was already the subject of 16,000 57 Facebook posts and 881 tweets. She had long been a horror movie icon, a symbol of Hollywood's capacity to exploit our most basic fears in the silliest ways. Now she was an icon of a new and different kind of horror, a growing fear of loneliness. Certainly, she received much more attention in death than she did in the final years of her life. With no children, no religious group, and no immediate social circle of any kind, she had begun as an elderly woman to look elsewhere for companionship. Savage later told Los Angeles Magazine that she had searched Vickers' phone bills for clues about the life that led to such an end. In the months before her grotesque death, Vickers had made calls not to friends or family, but to distant fans who had found her through fan conventions and internet sites. And the last message was, we should get together sometime. It's been too long. Call me. And so this person who had thousands of fans, thousands of followers on Twitter, uh, was left deaf for an unknown amount, was left dead for an unknown amount of time, to the point where her body was mummified. And I just feel like this is the perfect illustration where we're kind of at as a culture, where we have thousands of followers, but we don't feel like we have any friends. We're unwilling to commit, but we don't feel connected. And so my, my prayer is that, man, just like Psalm 68, 6 says, that God places the lonely in families. For those of us who are lonely, for those of us who have broken hearts because those of us are lonely, I pray that we would be a community that would partner with God's mission to set the lonely in families. Because independence is directly opposed for God, from God's plan for a life. It is not good for man or woman to be alone. Amen? Amen? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Dear Father, we just give you this moment. And uh, our hearts break for those who are feeling lonely. Our hearts break that there are people living without community. Lord, we pray that we would be the answer to that problem. And we would also receive the solution. Lord, that we wouldn't isolate ourselves anymore, but we'd be open to what you want for us, that we would have community, that we would have friends, that we would have people we can walk through life with. And so if you're, if you're in this place and, and you're just saying, hey, I'm, I'm willing to be part of a community that makes a difference in people's lives, I, I, I just want you to just nod your head right now. You're saying, hey, I'm, I'm willing to be part of that kind of community where we'll have each other's backs, where we'll be committed to the process, 
we just won't show up every once in a while and, and just ignore each other and only call each other when we need something. But we would be not just friends that say, hey, I'll pray for you, but hey, I'm going to pray with you right now. Or hey, I'm going to help you move. Or hey, I'm going to sit down with you. Or hey, I, I'm going to help you out. I'm there for you. That's awesome. And you know, I just want you guys to look at me real quick. You know, we're, we're talking about community and we're talking about this this plan that God has for us. And I, I just want to be very honest with you. There are people, you have relational poverty, but there are also others of us who have spiritual poverty. You're not feeling connected to anything, not just people, but you feel like you have no purpose. You feel like you're not connected to God. Maybe you used to feel connected to God. You used to feel like you had a relationship with him, but somewhere along the road of life, you've, you've gone distant or you've lost hope in that. Or maybe you've never known what it's like to have an amazing, beautiful, life-giving relationship with Jesus. And I just want to let you know that you can have that. That as we grow closer to God, we grow closer to each other. And as we give our, our, our worst to Jesus, he gives us his best. And no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter where you've been, Jesus has a plan for you, a purpose for you, an amazing journey for you. And if you're in this place, you want to follow Jesus, I want to pray for you. If you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, I want to pray for you right now. So if we could just make this a, a sacred, holy moment by bowing our heads and closing our eyes. If you're here and you're saying, hey, I want to, I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to live life alone anymore. I don't want to live my life isolated anymore, but I want to follow Jesus. If that's you in this place, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and I'm, I'm going to pray for you. But if you want to give your life to Jesus, on the count of three, please raise your hand. One, two, three. Just lift up your hand so I can see it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Well, I want to lead us all in a prayer where we would say, hey, Jesus, my life is yours. So let's pray this prayer together. Just repeat after me boldly. God, thank you for loving me. Right now, I choose to follow the ways of Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. I've made mistakes. Please forgive me and help me turn from my old ways forever. Amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause for life transformation? God bless you. Thank you for your hand. Thank you for giving your life to Jesus. Best decision you'll ever make.